Now, unfortunately, as we know, more and more women at a young age are getting breast cancer. We're hearing of women, right? We have friends or colleagues or coworkers who were young as opposed to in their 50s or 60s that are developing breast cancer. And so to know some of this hormonal information earlier may be part of the picture when it comes to cancer development. Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Carrie Jones. As this month is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we're going to talk about my absolute favorite hormone test, the Dutch test, and dive into estrogen metabolism and ultimately breast cancer prevention. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today I have on guest Carrie Jones. She's a naturopath and is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. Dr. Jones graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she also completed a two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program. Recently, Dr. Jones became board certified through the American Board of Naturopathic Endocrinology. She was adjunct faculty at NUNM for many years teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology fertility. While in practice, Dr. Jones served as a medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland. She is currently the medical director for Precision Analytical. So welcome, Dr. Jones, to the show. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I told her before we started recording, I want to say, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones from Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since I went to medical school. And uh, like I said, I'm glad it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Thankfully, thankfully that doesn't annoy you too much. Uh, well, welcome again. And in, in every chapter of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I share the most progressive functional medicine testing options available for that organ system, aka room in the house. And it's in chapter six specifically that I'm comparing our endocrine system to the heating and the cooling of our homes. So I mentioned blood, saliva, and urine hormone testing in that chapter because I think there's a time and place for all of the above. So many variables can contribute to what type of testing I decide to order on my patients. That can include their age and their cycling status, the, the day of the cycle, what form of hormone replacement therapy they're on, and their budget, of course. But one specific testing that I want to dive into today is the Dutch testing. Uh, and so we have Dr. Carrie Jones on specifically to talk about that urine testing and what Dutch even stands for. A lot of people have heard of the testing, but they're kind of wondering, what the heck is that Dutch testing that I've, I've heard about? <laughs> so full disclosure, again, she's the medical director for Precision Analytical who offers this testing, but that's the, that's the best guest I could have on the show to talk about her testing. So welcome to the show again. We'll get into testing, but I want to hear your story first. So how did you get interested in naturopathy? How did how did your interest start? Oh, it's so funny. So I was definitely headed the conventional medical way. I was volunteering at two hospitals in Ohio. I went to college in Ohio. And one of the hospitals, I worked in their community outreach program. I worked with two nurses who did a lot of diabetes education, hypertension education. We would go to different workplaces and do, uh, we would take vitals and we would, you know, talk about how to prevent disease, how to prevent, you know, the symptoms and things that they were having. And I loved it. The other hospital I volunteered at was at the pediatric wing and it was very sterile and it was very cold and it was very uh, conventional. And I thought, no way, like if this is medicine, no way. I, I'd way prefer to do the community outreach prevention education stuff. So I moved to Oregon, the state of Oregon, um, and decided not to go to conventional medical school, found naturopathic medical school only because they were hiring 
And in my undergrad, I had a third job. And my third job was to work in my admissions department as a student. And so I thought, you know what? Instead of becoming a doctor, I will get my PhD on in the academia side. I will be in higher ed admin. And so I got a job in the naturopathic admissions department. And I was there for two years and went, oh, <laughs> this is where I'm supposed to be. Okay. <laughs> and that was in 2001. That was in 2001. And I graduated in 2005. I did my residency in women's health and hormones and gynecology, endocrinology. Uh, I did that for two years. And then I've been in was in practice for years and years, primarily hormones, women, uh, with a few men who would come see me that they thought was hilarious to come see me, right? For they would, they would say like, "I'm going to go see my gynecologist." So I was those, those hilarious men. Um, and then I slowly started working for Dutch, and now I'm their medical director. Awesome, wonderful, good story. So let's get to the Dutch testing. What does Dutch stand for, and what is that test all about? <laughs> a test for Dutch heritage. You do get asked that question, and it's an acronym. It stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. And so it is. Um, even though we do offer a salivary portion of it uh, as an add-on, if you want, uh, it we stuck with the name Dutch because everybody knows it. Easy to say. Let's actually. Let's tangent for a moment to the cycle mapping that you're referring to. Briefly, let, briefly talk about that add-on, and then let's come back to the Dutch test. So what, what was that that you were referring to? Actually, what I was referring to is the cortisol awakening response, which is way easier. So cycle mapping is when women test basically every day of their cycle, and it's one collection that they do in the morning. It's a urine test, so it's kind of a little bit like taking a pregnancy test, you know, every single morning letting it dry and mailing it in. And what we do is we track estrogen and progesterone through the cycle. So it's great for women who tell me like, well, I kind of have symptoms all cycle long. I have symptoms at ovulation and PMS. I um, can't figure out why I can't get pregnant. I have a history of recurrent miscarriage. And so it's more of a cycle long issue as opposed to women who say, I have very clear PMS. It starts on day 25. You know, it ends when my period comes. And so that's why we like the longer test. So it's more collection, but it is all in dried urine. So for convenience. Now the saliva, when I was talking about was more for cortisol. So it's the cortisol awakening response. So it's very specific collection. First thing in the morning, you do three tests back to back within an hour. And so we're looking to see how quickly your cortisol does or doesn't spike when you open up your eyes in the morning a lot packed in there. So let me go back for a moment <laughs> um, to the cycle mapping. Oh, that's great. So with the cycle mapping, obviously some other companies also offer that sort of cyclical testing in saliva. So tell me why you think urine is better or is it a convenience from, from a cycle mapping standpoint? So it is from a cycle mapping standpoint, it's definitely convenience. Uh, it's a lot easier than having to spit in a tube every single morning of your cycle. And so especially, you know, if you're doing it 20 times it can you know by the 10th time you're kind of annoyed trying to get up in the morning and collect a saliva and so you that much easier coupled with we add in other hormone markers that you find in urine so we, we call them metabolites which is basically the pathways the pathway that those hormones go so we'll tell you your estrogen and then what we do is we narrow it down in the luteal phase and we look to see how does your estrogen go through detoxification? You can really only find that in urine testing. Um, we do look at like testosterone. Testosterone, is it going down the pathway that causes acne and hair growth in places we don't want? Or is it going down the other pathway? Um, and so it's nice and easy to find that in urine. And so patients really like the ease of collection. Plus you get all this extra 
um, comprehensive data that goes with it. So with the cycle mapping, they're urinating every day or every couple of days, like the, literally the whole month, but then you pick a day that you're going to do the deeper test and look at all the metabolites. Women will say, well, can't you do this every single day? Can't I see what's going on every day? Like you can, it just becomes a really, really expensive. <laughs> the day that we pick is uh, very well planned. It's if you have a 28 day cycle. It's generally day 19, 20 or 21 of your cycle. So that's when your estrogen should be moderate and your progesterone should be at its highest. So we're we're picking it for strategic purposes. Absolutely. I tell patients, if when your progesterone is supposed to be the highest that it is the entire cycle, it's low, we have a problem, right? So we're strategically trying to capture it at its at, the, at its highest peak. Before we dive into the urine testing and all the metabolites, now I want to go back to the cortisol awakening response real quick. So for years, many companies offered, uh, still do offer saliva cortisol testing where I have my patients spit into a tube morning, noon, evening, and night, and we really see their circadian rhythm. Recently, in the last few years, they have added, well, they give the option of adding on this cortisol awakening response. So what do we want to see on that test? And what would we do if the, the findings are not optimal? What's the benefit of this add-on, this cortisol awakening response? It's actually a very cool add-on. And um, the doctor who kind of originated, who kind of brought it to functional medicine, his name is Dr. Tom Williams. And he wrote a book on the HPA axis. It's, I'm obsessed with it. I read it years and years ago. He has a new version come, that just came out. I'm so excited to get it. Um, and so I read his book years ago probably six or seven years ago and like jumped right on it. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. The cortisol awakening response is the, is the natural, well, it's supposed to be natural rhythm that happens right when you open your eyes. So you open your eyes in the morning and light comes in and it triggers your brain to say to your adrenals, now make cortisol now. You just opened your eyes. You just, you're about to get out of bed. And in about 30 minutes, your cortisol should peak. You should have this really quick rise in cortisol. And what it does is it helps reduce inflammation and it helps um, get your butt out of bed. And it helps switch you to be from conscious to fully alert. It helps to manage your blood sugar because you've been fasting all night long. It helps reduce your autoimmune symptoms and even risk. It, it plays a big role in your immune system. And your thymus gland, not thyroid, but, but thymus. Um, and so what I can tell people is if your cortisol awakening response is too low or is too high, then it leads me to, to, like, to other reasons. Like, okay, if you're too low, this is probably why you need two cups of coffee, three cups of coffee to get going in the morning. This is probably why you feel so draggy and unmotivated in the morning. But why? Why is your cortisol awakening response so low? Do you sleep poorly? Do you snore? Do you have sleep apnea? Are you on a medication that's suppressing your cortisol? Have you hit your head and your, and your um, injury in your brain is affecting the way that you make cortisol? Um, is it uh, that you've had high cortisol over time and your high cortisol enacts what we know is called a feedback loop and now you have low cortisol? And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the brain to tell the adrenals to make cortisol. That's how we re-encourage it, right? That's how we heal it. Just like the opposite, if somebody says, well, I wake up in the morning with anxiety, I wake up in the morning with panic, I wake up in the morning with depression, um, then I know that their cortisol is actually probably higher than it should be. You go from zero to 100, you up, go up to 150 or 200 as an example. And so those people are generally very stressed, right? They have anticipatory stress for the day. They have a lot going on. They wake up worried about something. Their mind is always spinning. Maybe they woke up in the middle of the night, mind spinning. Um, maybe blood sugar. Blood sugar can be a big reason. You know, cortisol increases uh, blood sugar. So it's, um, it's, its primary job is to manage your, your blood sugar. 
inflammation. You woke up sick. You woke up with joint pain. You woke up and your dog threw up. You know, like there's a lot of things that you go from zero to 100 and, and beyond. And so then we just have to address from there. And so it gives really good information to people how you handle your morning. And subsequently, how do you handle other parts of your body? Excellent. Yes, I, I've, I haven't ordered a ton of these. I've been doing saliva cortisol testing for years, but on the patients that I have ordered, it is pretty interesting to see that. So it is a unique add-on and that I think I'll be utilizing more in the future. And people are used to, like you said, like I do it in the morning, I do it at noon, I do it around dinner, I do it before bed. And I, and I am like the cortisol awakening response, we actually tighten it up. So you collect right as soon as your eyes wake up, still in bed, you collect 30 minutes later and you collect 30 minutes after that. So it's waking 30, 30. So it's not the like grand sweeping through the day collection per se, very narrowed. Cause I want to see like in your first hour, how do you handle well, it is October, so it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I, I truly believe what's more important than estrogen levels is really the way that our body handles estrogen, detoxifies or eliminates or metabolizes it, whatever word you want to use. And that's one of the big strengths with the Dutch test, right? On urine, we can see metabol what metabolites, how, how you're excreting the estrogen. So can you go into what we're seeing on this urine hormone test? You can talk about the hormones, but then also all the different metabolites that your company offers. Yeah, which is, I think, the, definitely the big um, bonus to urine testing is because so many women get their estrogen. They're like, well, I went to my doctor and I got my estrogen and I got my progesterone and I was told I was fine. Everything's fine. Why am I fine? I don't feel fine. And so it's nice to go, well, actually, let's take it some extra steps. You make estrogen, but where does it go? And where it goes is where we're, what you said. It's these metabolites. And these metabolites can be helpful <laughs> or harmful depending on which route you're going down. And so with estrogen, you go through three phases of detoxification. So once you're done with your estrogen, when you're estrogen hormone molecule and you need to get rid of it, it has to go through three steps to get eliminated. So the first steps has three choices, oddly. So one of the choices is called the two, we call it a two hydroxy pathway. Then we have a four hydroxy pathway and we have a 16 hydroxy pathway. As men and women, we will always go down one of these pathways to some degree. Well, they'll never be zero. But our two pathway is the more desirable pathway. That's the least carcinogenic is what we say, the least cancer-causing risk. And if you've heard we talk about these before, when she's saying 2-hydroxy, hydroxy can be interchanged with OH. <laughs> so sometimes you'll hear these called the 2-OH or whatnot, 16-alpha OH. Um, so just know that if you're listening, when she's saying hydroxy, if you're looking at your test or if you're looking at abbreviations, those, those are interchangeable. But yes, so the 2 has been shown to be protective against breast cancer. So that's so a the 2-methoxy is protective. 2-hydroxy is not. And so, which is why it's really important that we look at both phases of the pathway because 2-hydroxy uh, is not, I say, like, it's not no carcinogenic, it's just less carcinogenic, but it's what it turns into, the methyl with an M, um, that is protective. That has been shown to be protective. So the whole goal is to prefer the OH or hydroxy, the 2-hydroxy pathway, and then rapidly get you to a methoxy. Whereas you have two other pathways, right? You have the 4, which we were saying, and the 16 and the four is what's considered the most carcinogenic. It's the most risk for DNA damage. And then the 16 we call proliferative. It makes things grow. So good for bones, bad for breast cancer. So it's striking it's like Goldilocks. We're like striking a balance with all these pathways. But our whole goal is to get to the muh, the methoxy, because the two methoxy is what's been shown to be productive. And then methoxy is phase two. That's the second step. Once you're a methoxy, we call it water-soluble. So now your body can 
urinate it out or you can eliminate it through your intestines. And then that's phase three. Basically, literally the elimination <laughs> when it ends up in your toilet. <laughs> so your hydroxys turn to methoxys. So hydroxylation is a phase one pathway and then methylation next phase. So I guess what I was saying, I want to go back to that too for a moment. So when I was saying more the two hydroxys protective, what I was speaking to is the relationship with 16. So a lot of patients look at their two to 16 ratio years ago. That was a ratio everyone used to, to look at. Now we know there's more to the puzzle than just that, but you certainly want to have higher twos than 16s. So that's where I was saying two is beneficial and that you want it to be higher than the, than the 16s, but you definitely want it to convert over for sure. Definitely the most concerning. If I had to be concerned about any of the dials, it's the four for sure. The two sixteen ratio, like you were saying years ago, lots of people were really into that, and it's been largely debunked um, because now we know about four and sixteen. Sixteen is estrogenic, uh, meaning that little molecule sixteen can actually bind to estrogen receptors, and uh, it's not as strong as true estrogen, but that's why it's helpful for bones. And so there's show in menopausal women who have higher sixteen, they maybe have high, like better. Uh, bone quality. But really, ultimately, what the big thing is, is it's because it's estrogenic. So we have to look at the woman's whole estrogen picture. And then when it comes to cancer, it's that four, that four OH or four hydroxy pathway. That's the one that if it gets out of hand, it really causes DNA damage. And we, we don't want that. <laughs> right. That leads to cancer. So we want to stop that. You may have heard me mention the nutrient DIM on several episodes, and I want to take a moment to describe exactly what that is. When I was in graduate school, my doctorate focused on estrogen metabolism. Now, you're probably wondering what that even means and why it matters to your health. Well, research has shown that our risks for fibroids, cysts, and breast, ovarian, uterine, prostate, and colon cancer can all be linked back to estrogen, but it's not the levels of estrogens that can increase our risk. Instead, it's the way our bodies handle that estrogen that matters. We can run individual lab tests for this, which I often recommend to my patients. That's called estrogen metabolism testing, which has to be done in the urine. Even without the test, however, it is safe to take a supplement and extract of cruciferous vegetables to improve your estrogen metabolism. That's basically like taking in six pounds of those veggies per day in a capsule form without the gas. That supplement is called DIM, D-I-M. You can also use methylated B vitamins as well as specific targeted antioxidants like resveratrol to help improve your estrogen metabolism and help protect you from that cancer risk. Of course, also make sure you have your practitioner run a comprehensive genetic analysis to see from another perspective if you are at increased risk and help you learn what you can do to lower that. If you're interested in learning more about DIM, read chapter six of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, and check out our product info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash DIM. To get 10% off DIM alone or 15% off our estrogen detox bundle with DIM, methylated B vitamins, and antioxidant support. Just use the code estrogen detox when checking out at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. So you've talked about a lot of different markers. So let's break those down and talk about what we can do. So DIM is a supplement that is commonly recommended to improve estrogen metabolism. And I talk about this a lot, but I'll let you speak to it. So how does DIM influence these pathways for the better? So DIM comes from your broccoli, kale, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts family, your brassica family. So when you chew up or eat those foods, one of the molecules that is in them is called I3C, indole-3-carbonyl. And I3C 
hits your stomach acid. It requires stomach acid and it breaks apart. And one of those molecules it makes is DIM. So the end goal that we want is DIM, methane. DIM upregulates a receptor in your body that prefers the two pathway, which is the better pathway. That's what and it also, that receptor and upregulating the two will also pull or reduce estrogen in your body out of circulation. And we've seen it time and time again on lab work. In fact, um, we're looking to publish study, a study on it. So DIM is helpful for that phase one only. DIM is only helpful if you have a phase one problem. If you have a phase two problem, if you have a phase three problem, DIM will actually make you worse. So you want to be very careful. You want to test to know. But DIM and um, the supplement being very, very potent uh, can really push that two pathway, which can be great for a lot of women and reduce estrogen and circulation. Now, there's some caveats, right? So um, if you already have low estrogen, let's say you're menopausal and then you go on DIM, you could make your menopause symptoms worse, right? Women have definitely called me and said or DM'd me or messaged me and said, I went on DIM because I didn't know better and I feel terrible. Like you might've lowered your estrogen. Let's do something else. And so, and then, like I said, if DIM only affects phase one. So if you are just pushing, pushing, pushing the two pathway, but you don't have an open as in the, the two OH, two hydroxy, but you don't have an open phase two pathway methylation, and you don't have an open phase three pathway, then it can lead to problems. Sure. So I want to go back to indole-3-carbonyl for a moment. So I know a lot of the initial research was done on indole-3-carbonyl, not DIM specifically, but more research is being done on DIM. Uh, but for which reason, a lot of supplement companies put both into a bottle. They put indole-3-carbonyl and DIM because some patients want I3C, which a lot of the literature or research has been done on somewhat dim. So I, and I'm fine with my patients taking either unless they're on acid blocking medications, because as you said, endothricarbonyl has to have stomach acid to be converted to that, that active form dim. So if you're on, you know, a proton pump inhibitor, if you're on medication for reflux, then you really need dim, not just I3C. The I3C won't work. So I just wanted to, to clarify that. So, so you talked a lot about dim helping phase one. So what do we do for phase two and like you said methylation so it and everyone thinks immediately mthfr oh it's mthfr methylation actually it's comt it's a different enzyme so comp comt is the big player here and mthfr does play a role folate is important but it's not uh it's not the star of the show so we need to do a lot of comt support comt likes magnesium magnesium is one of its biggest cofactors magnesium is involved in over 600 enzymatic reactions in the body and magnesium is also often really depleted in humans right in humans are often have a lot of ma low magnesium issues so common right now <laughs> in the year 2020 in the month of october yeah we have a lot of stressed out humans that's for sure so I tell women, um, men too, but since it's breast cancer awareness, you know, like if you like Epsom salt baths, take your Epsom salt baths. If you have magnesium and you've been forgetting to take it lately, like, you know, if you're working on it with your estrogen, you know, talk to your practitioner about starting your magnesium back up. Look at your magnesium because that can be really helpful. Other helpful things, though, are your, is like your B12. B12 can be really helpful. Um, choline. So eat the eggs like your egg yolks. If you're an egg eater, get your choline in. Methionine is another um, supplement that we hear about. Glycine, uh, trimethylglycine, which is also known as betaine, which we know about with like digestive enzymes. You will see betaine in there. 
There are a lot of zinc. Zinc is a big cofactor. In fact, I read a study that said zinc, I can't remember the exact number. I think it was in 70%. Like if you're magnesium deficient, zinc can substitute 70% of the time. But how many people are zinc deficient? A lot. <laughs> so well, in your minerals, like you could have a real problem with your phase two estrogen detoxification. And so um, these cofactors, and you'll see, I didn't say dim at all, right? Not a, nothing, I didn't say dim. Um, these are very specific for helping phase two function better. So if you're watching here, because we will post this on YouTube, <laughs> I'm just going to try to show the testing here. I used this earlier because I had a Facebook Live talking about this exact testing. So on paper here, if you do the Dutch testing, on the far right, you're going to see your methylation gauge, right? That's looking at phase two. And if that's low, then that's where you're going to want to add some of the supplements that Dr. Jones has mentioned to improve that methylation. And it's, um, we, so we, Dutch does not test COMT. We are not a genomic test, but we do give you, we call it a relative ratio. So from your ability to get from an OH or a hydroxy over to a methoxy, that's what we're looking at. So we're looking to see your conversion rate essentially. And if your conversion rate is poor, what she's alluding to is you may have some genetic variants, some SNPs or polymorphisms with COMT. So that is something that you can be tested for, for sure. So my understanding of that is when you have a lot of those variants, you actually don't clear out estrogens very well. So you have room for improvement there. Yeah. <laughs> the last marker on this test that's so valuable that you said is the most risk inducing essentially is that 4-hydroxy estrogen, correct? So if found to be elevated, I know just from my research, this has actually also been shown um, to increase risk of metastasis, unfortunately. Um, what can individuals do when that marker is elevated? So DIM is another, so improving all the pathways will help. So improving phase one and two, three, we haven't talked about yet, but anything you can do to improve or optimize your three pathways really will help the four marker. The other thing about the four marker is if it, um, if it starts to head down the path of DNA damage, we call it adduct formation for whatever scientific reason. Start to head down that pathway with the body is smart. It has two stop gaps. So we have two enzymes there to help, um, help redirect, let's say, redirect that four back to the beginning so it can't cause damage. One of the enzymes really, really, really likes broccoli sprouts. And specifically it likes in broccoli sprouts, it likes an ingredient called sulforaphane. Take sulforaphane as a supplement. You can grow your own broccoli sprouts. You can, you know, buy organic broccoli sprouts at the store. So that's one enzyme. The second enzyme is a glutathione-based enzyme. And so improving, increasing your glutathione and acetylcysteine, which helps make glutathione, um, can be also helpful in that stop gap so that you don't continue on to the DNA damage. So those are two like really big ones that people can do. Wonderful. And I would add to that resveratrol. So my doctor was actually on estrogen metabolism and I, I really scrutinized the literature to see what else can we do to protect ourselves if this happens and resveratrol. And I'm not saying drink wine. Wine has a very small amount of resveratrol, but taking a high quality supplement like 100 milligrams can be protective as can the N-acetylcysteine. And I even tell patients glutathione. I'm like, well, N-acetylcysteine is beneficial because it's likely boosting glutathione. So taking glutathione could be very protective there as well. Research on resveratrol is really interesting because um, it's like curcumin, I have found. So resveratrol in cell studies works really, really well. But when in the big um, like resveratrol anti-cancer associations that meet 
like they're not seeing the outcome in uh, humans, in the, in the human studies. Now, transresveratrol is the available kind, but still, the studies are like, ooh, it's not really crossing over from cell into human. However, this is my opinion. And what they do in the studies is that they give resveratrol and then they expect to see resveratrol when they test, right? So in a cell, it's really easy, but in a human, you swallow it, you draw your blood and you're like, dang, I can't find the resveratrol. But what I think, and I learned this again from that, um, uh, from that doctor I mentioned earlier, Dr. Tom Williams, he was talking about curcumin in the, in the gut microbiome. And I sort of, I crossed it over to resveratrol. I think what happens is resveratrol hits the gut microbiome and one, in the liver, it breaks apart to a lot of ingredients. And two, the microbiome, it's like a domino effect. So the resveratrol does something in the microbiome positively, and a whole cascade of events happens, positively reduce your risk against cancer, you know, to be anti-inflammatory. It does job. We just can't draw your blood and see one for one resveratrol because it, it's, you know, 54 dominoes down the chain. So when people, I'll get pushback I, when I a lecture from practitioners who are like, well, the human studies show resveratrol does crap. I'm like, I know, but you know, we can't, we're only testing one for one and we're not expanding our research beyond, you know, like metabolites, resveratrol breaks into metabolites. We're not looking at the resveratrol metabolites. Like maybe we should gut microbiome play like we do with curcumin. Like maybe we should look at the gut microbiome and resveratrol. So there's just more to the story. I don't think it's going to hurt. I think it is very protective. Yeah. <laughs> it's an antioxidant. It's, you know, going to be protective <laughs> and helpful. Would you take it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, do you want to get into phase three? You were talking about phase one and phase two. Do we want to get into phase three? Phase three is either out your kidneys or out your intestines, right? So either pee it out or you poop it out. And so there in the intestines, our microbiome is very, very important. If you have a lot of inflammation, infection going on in your, in your gut, that is going to affect your estrogen. So think of it like this. Your estrogen has gone through phase one. It has gone through phase two. And now it is in a box with a lid on it and a bow. And it's getting ready to be excreted out. If you have a lot of intestinal stuff, poor microbiome, infections, whatever, there is an enzyme specifically called beta-glucuronidase, and it will snip off the bow and it will take off the top of the box and now your estrogen flies free and when it, it flies free it just gets reabsorbed so that estrogen you're trying to poop out gets pulled back into the body and gets reused again and so you can ladies have estrogen issues because you have gut issues it's a re it's a, a recycle thing and so by working on gut health cleaning up your gut health improving, you know, uh, constipation, having regular bowel movements, getting enough fiber and water and all those things, getting rid of infections that will, believe it or not, really help your estrogen. Very good point. Uh, I actually, so we can test for levels of, um, beta-glucuronidase uh, on a stool test, actually. So when that marker is really high, to me, that's not good. That's actually an independent risk factor for colon cancer, which is related to, uh, it's an estrogen-related cancer, so related to breast cancer, similar cause there. So uh, essentially for those patients who have very high levels of beta-glucuronidase, we do need to obviously get them pooping regularly, but there's another supplement called calcium deglucrate, which can help. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So if, if beta-glucuronidase are like the scissors that snip off the bow calcium deglucurate are the anti-scissors it blocks the scissors so it doesn't really really lower the levels of beta-glucuronidase you have to work on your gut for that and you have to work on your you know microbiome but it does help protect the bow in the box so that it can be safely excreted out so it's like a it's like a personal security guard 
you know, so you can, you can excrete it, um, out of the body. So it can be a really nice band-aid supplement while you're working on your gut at the same time, which is why I really like it. Now, interestingly, beta or excuse me, calcium deglucrate, the supplement is expensive and studies on animals show that you have to take a really high dose. In fact, I believe the dose is like 3000 milligrams or higher to get the ther the quote unquote therapeutic level. But what I've found in practice, and you probably have too, is that um, even little, any dose, any amount counts. So even 500 milligrams makes a difference. And so when people go, oh, I can only afford to do one capsule a day, it's 500 milligrams. I'm like, do it. Absolutely do it. Now, if somebody has breast cancer, then I might say, look, we need to, we need to increase your, you know, let's get therapeutic here. But if trying to affect PMS or, you know, clots, periods, fibroids, stuff like that, 500 milligrams coupled with everything else is helpful. Now, food-wise, one of my favorite things to do, which people think is hilarious, is carrots or our carrots. You want the whole carrot, not the baby carrot, the whole carrot, and you want it to be organic and you don't want to peel it. So wash the skin, but don't peel the skin. So the fiber in a carrot and the fiber on the outside of the carrot on the skin are a little bit different and they help get estrogen out of the body. And so I've actually had people write me and say, I've started eating two or three carrots as I get close to PMS time and it makes a huge difference. Interesting. So I was like, carrots. So. <laughs> um, so carrots have beta carotene. Is there any beta connection there? Or am I just pulling at strings? No, I don't know. No, it's just the fiber. <laughs> I think it's just the fiber. <laughs> Since we're talking about beta, I just, okay. Um, so what else can women do to reduce their risk and improve their overall detoxification and really improve all these markers lifestyle wise? Big one is chemicals, right? So big one is our, our, our exposures. We have a lot of the environmental um, endocrine disruptors. We have what we call them. And um, we don't, our endocrine system is already disrupted for a lot of us. So we don't really need to disrupt it more by adding in all these chemicals like plastics is a, is a really good example. Um, BPA, you know, even the alternative BPC, like when they say BPA free, you're like, well, you just used its sister, right? BPA, else, which is not necessarily any better. Uh, fragrance. Um, so I'm constantly telling women, I, look, I want you not drinking out of plastic if you can avoid it. I want you in glass or I want you in stainless steel. I want you to read your skincare products. I want you to read how, what you wash your hair with and what you use in it. I want you to read um, what you clean your house with. I want you to read about the thing you just hung in your car because you think your card smells bad. You know, I want you to read the ingredients in that spray you spray and your candles that you burn, th what you put in your garden to get rid of bugs. Like all these things add up and our body absorbs them. And we are led to believe that like, well, they're, they're, they're safe because they, um, you know, they do a little dose and they're like, well, this little dose isn't going to hurt you. It's not going to kill you. I'm like, well, I know it's going to kill you. But when you do the same lipstick with lead in it every single day, when you've got the, the hanger in your car and you're driving all over um, and you're breathing that in, it's 100% affecting all your hormones, but more importantly, your detoxification. Everything you eat, breathe, drink, swallow, or slather on it's sucked right into your body and your liver's like, Ugh. how do I handle this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're, this is like the biggest, one of the biggest human experiments. I know there's a documentary about it and I can't remember the name, but uh, that, that there has not been any real research done on the layer upon layer upon layer, right? Dose and dose of dose of all these chemicals that we're exposed to in everything you mentioned and what we're eating and breathing and drinking and whatnot. So just because one little ingredient or one little product is supposedly safe. Well, 
and we don't know how many dosages of that is safe and we don't know the the unfortunate negative effects of the combination of all these chemicals on our body so it's pretty scary we didn't used to have chemicals and we didn't used to have a lot of cancer well now we do and we have a lot more cancer so there's likely a relationship there coupled with things like the stuff we can't control you know so i live in the pacific northwest and much like everyone in california we know the fires and so for 10 straight days my air quality was listed in my little air quality app as like horrendously toxic i can't control that i mean i can control not going outside i have an air purifier i can control that stuff but like on top of the fact if i was using chemical laden skincare if i was using roundup in my garden you know and absorbing it i was just using bare hands like just all these things on top of smoke, you know, on top of poor water quality. We know there are cities in the United States whose water quality is horrible. You know, it's, it, it makes the news. And so if you're not filtering your water in any kind of way, um, if you're just drinking out of plastic water bottles and getting all that plastic into your water, you know, that's just things that um, it just adds. It just adds more fuel to the fire. It adds more burden to the liver. And it really affects hormones. Because what happens is these chemicals... I, in, in my, like, how do I understand it analogy, they're strong and they're stronger than estrogen. And so your liver is going to process them first or maybe preferentially. And then your estrogen's like, all right, well, I'll go to the back. I'll just keep circulating. And then as a woman, we get bad PMS and we get fibroids and we get cysts and we get prone to cancer and all of these things because our liver is so busy processing all the other chemicals we're exposed to. I like that you pointed some of those um, symptoms out because everything we're talking about today, uh, really removing our, or reducing, can't always remove it, but reducing our toxic burden and improving our phase one, phase two, and you know, phase three pathways isn't just important for breast cancer. It's important for, well, all cancers, but also for things like fibroids and cysts and um, endometriosis and heavy bleeding. <laughs> there are other benefits here. So if you're listening and you don't have breast cancer, this still applies to you <laughs> and not just to women, also to men because men can get prostate cancer. <laughs> and other cancers. The documentary you may be referring to is called Skin Deep. Um, I saw it uh, earlier this year or last year, and it was astounding. One of the women in there, she, the, a lot of the women that they interview, like they count. There's a woman, you know, who's in who's into makeup and you know, a makeup artist, and she counts like how many things she puts on her skin and her hair and her in her face a day and then she starts to read the, and she's having all sorts of health problems and then she starts to read the labels and she like you know does research and then she becomes part of the documentary of like oh my goodness like this could be really affecting me and really worsening a lot of my symptoms the good news is we can change this right by making wise swaps switch to safer products work to detox the body i think sweating is amazing getting an infrared sauna that helps detox from all sorts of chemicals and mold toxins and whatnot so we can help the body detox better so th there is good news here there's good news here i know this podcast is, isn't exactly about detoxification but there are things we can do to improve that a lot of companies are really changing their ways right a lot of companies are really you know, a lot of cleaning companies have come out um, and be careful of greenwashing, like really do, you know, people will say green or they'll put green leaves all over their products or whatever. It says natural and there's nothing natural about it. <laughs> so like, this is the same as my, you know, super toxic one, like what the heck. Um, but there are a lot of really good companies out there that are really trying hard to be transparent and then voices of to what chemicals they put in either their your your face lotion or your shampoo or your you know your kitchen counter spray or shower whatever it is 
Yep. Yep. And you can use, uh, we've mentioned this app on the podcast many times, but the Skin Deep Cosmetics Database or the Think Dirty app, you can certainly use to type in your brands of products or to type in individual ingredients. And that will rank kind of how dangerously high um, that ingredient is. And I point them to that app all the time to say, right, if you don't believe me, just look it up. So on the Dutch test, uh, there are there are different companies that offer urine hormone testing. But back to your company, what else do you include on there that's even important for breast cancer that maybe some other companies do not? What are some additional markers that you're looking at on your test? Yeah. So interestingly, um, I'm going to go back to cortisol just for a second, even though I know other companies do this. But there is research to show that if you have a flat, we call it a flat slope of cortisol, the cortisol should look like a mountain. It should go up like a mountain and then come down like a mountain and then be low as you get closer to bed. But if your mountain is more like a you know flat hill or maybe even a straight line, research has showed that you have an increased risk for earlier mortality with breast cancer and prostate cancer. So we do want cortisol testing as part of your prostate or breast cancer journey because I don't want your mortality, of course, to be uh, cut short. I want to get your cortisol up to an appropriate mountain peak and then come back down. So that is one thing that's important. Now it's just included in the Dutch test. Like that's just part of it. So other companies may offer that, but it's, and it's an add on to also do a four point kind of cortisol test. So you're saying that's part of your Dutch testing. Our main, our two main Dutch tests, the Dutch complete and Dutch plus it is there. It is part of that automatically. We also automatically include melatonin and there's a lot of research on melatonin and cancer risk, not to melatonin and so many other conditions. But we do include melatonin, especially because sleep is so important for recovery. Melatonin is a very potent antioxidant. Some of the um, uh, like Cancer Treatment Centers of America are using melatonin as part of their uh, breast cancer, but even just oncology treatments um, is one of the supplements. We know it's great for the immune system. Um, and so melatonin is something we look at. We also look at a DNA damage marker. It's called, it's a very long scientific name. I don't know who named these things, but we shorten it to 8-OH-DG, 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine. And basically when the DNA is getting damaged, it leaks this molecule that shows up in the urine. And so the higher it is, I know the higher DNA damage you have. And now we have to address that. Lots of reasons for DNA damage. Cancer can be one of them. So mitigate that and see what's going on. And then other things we include, we do include a B12 marker. And I mentioned B12 earlier with uh, the estrogen detoxification, but also we include two B6 markers. B6 is also important for estrogen detoxification and, of course, hundreds of other enzymatic reactions. We include a dopamine, a norepinephrine and epinephrine metabolite marker to sort of give you a little insight into how those hormones um, may or may not be doing. So we do give you some extra great stuff that are just nice to know in the overall like comprehensiveness of your health. Uh, very fancy test. I think everyone should have this test run. I have a lot of patients who come see me who do have challenges and then they start thinking, well, I don't want my daughter to have these challenges. I think she should have her hormone levels tested. And I agree. I think starting in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, we need to be checking these things so we can track progress. We can track if something's popping up that's suspicious. So I think this is a wonderful test for men and women starting at a, a young age. I agree. And unfortunately, as we know, I mean, more and more women at a young age are getting breast cancer. We're hearing of women, right? We have friends or colleagues or coworkers who were young as opposed to in their 50s or 60s that are developing breast cancer. And so to know some of this, some of this hormonal information earlier may be part of the picture um, when it comes to cancer development and to be really helpful. 
totally agreed. I want to just mention one more benefit of your testing. So I have many patients who are on hormone replacement therapy, whether they're on topicals or orals or sublinguals or hormone pellets. Um, this is a great test for monitoring, again, estrogen metabolism for someone I'm prescribing hormone replacement therapy to. But I, I personally do not like saliva hormone testing when patients are on sublinguals. That sublingual hormone is going to skew the saliva. And even for topicals, the levels come back way too high. So this urine test is the test I require of my patients at least once annually after we're smooth sailing and they're on dosages that we think are appropriate for them. So this isn't just a detection test or like a prevention test. It actually is a test that I use to monitor my patients, um, hormone replacement therapy as well. So great utilization. It's just, it's a wonderful comprehensive test as you've heard today. Thanks. I think so too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us what your absolute top longevity tip would be. Oh my gosh. My top longevity tip is by far taking advantage of the light and dark. So your, your circadian rhythm, which has a lot to do with cancer prevention as well. So in our brain, we have what we call the master clock gene that sets our, sets our rhythm for the day. And this master clock is set by light, natural light and darkness. And so notice I didn't say ashwagandha and I didn't say dim and I didn't say yoga. That was light and dark. So I tell people In the morning, when you wake up, I want you to get natural full spectrum light, not your phone. That's not full spectrum. I want you to open your curtains, open your blinds, go outside. Or if it's dark when you wake up for me right now in the fall, uh, buy a full spectrum light box. They're like 20 or 30 bucks. Make sure it's full spectrum and have it on, you know, for 15, 20 minutes while you're in the kitchen, getting ready in the morning at your desk. And at night, do the opposite. At night, you want to wind down. So start to dim the lights, wear your blue light blocking glasses. Be careful of the light on your computer or your phone. Maybe switch the background to a red or orange tint. Uh, and, and then sleep in complete darkness. And that is what helps to set and reset our master circadian rhythm, which sets all the rhythms for all the glands in our body. So that's my favorite tip. I have had no guests allude to that at all. So that was a wonderful, unique tip. So I like that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've been talking to these clock genes because they are the main, you know, they're our main circadian rhythm setter, so to speak. And they like light and dark and, and they like, they don't, you know, they don't like, like other triggers are important. You know, I joke about, they didn't say yoga, I didn't say breathing, I didn't say ashwagandha. Um, they're important, but like they literally need light and dark to set them. So give them what they want. Good tip. Well, (laughs) tell our listeners where they can find you. I know you have great social media. You do tons of videos. So tell us where listeners can find you. Instagram, it's my favorite. So I am at dr.carryjones on Instagram. And then everything, including this podcast, we do put on dutchtest.com. All our videos are free. You can can watch podcasts such as this one and, and learn right along. And so those are my two favorite places to hang out. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show and explaining the importance of testing not just hormones, but estrogen metabolism and talking about all the extra fancy add-ons that your company offers. I think this will be very valuable to our listeners. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I just love talking about hormones. And I know this testing may have sounded complicated to you today, but know that the collection is actually not difficult and that this test provides comprehensive results that we discussed today. Find a functional medicine provider who can order such tests on you and interpret their results and get you on a path to healing and risk reduction. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book 
Plus, for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.